Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. I put together probably a month or so ago, and I was going to preach the last time that I preached, but God ended up showing me um, the message of the voice of God, and that's what I ended up going with. But probably most of you can tell by where I told you to turn who we're going to be talking about tonight, and that's um, Saul of Tarsus. I just think it's a little bit funny that Pastor preached on Paul this morning, and we're going to be talking about Paul again tonight. Um, but what, what, do we, what do you think about when you think about the Apostle Paul? When I think about the Apostle Paul, I think of my favorite Bible person besides Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons that we decided to name our son Silas is because we think about Paul, you think about Paul and Silas. But I think about Paul, I think about one of my favorite characters that I mentioned besides the Lord himself. I think about a man who went on many missionary journeys. I think about a man who was a church planner. I think about a man who raised up many young preachers. I think about a man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. I think about a man who was beaten and whipped and scourged and persecuted in his attempt to serve the Lord. But I, want, I say all these things about Paul, and that's, how, that's probably how we think about Paul when we think about him. But let me remind you this today, that that's not where Paul started. That's not where Paul started. In fact, he pretty much started about just as far away from that as he could possibly get. And so for the next little bit, I want to preach to you on a message that I've titled, Chief Sinner to Chief Saint. Let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here, to preach to these people. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Thank you that we can even have a Bible, dear Lord. Thank you that we can even come into this church today and have the opportunity to serve you so freely, dear Lord. Something that we so often take for granted. But I pray, Lord, you just bless this service. I know that I am nothing, dear Lord, that I can do nothing. I can say nothing that will make a difference. But I pray, dear Lord, that you would quiet me, dear Lord, and that you would speak through me, and that everything that I say is only you and not me, dear Lord. I pray that you just have your will and your way in this service. I pray that you would fill the service in a mighty way, dear Lord. I pray that you would help me to, to be an encouragement to these people, to help them to be challenged, to, to want to be better Christians. I pray, dear Lord, that I would not just preach this message and forget about it, but that I would apply it myself, dear Lord. I pray you'd help me to, to be an encouragement to really love on these people, dear Lord. I thank you for this church family, dear Lord. I truly mean that. I don't know another one like it, and I'm so glad that this is mine. We do. I pray you is blessed tonight. I pray you'd help us prepare our hearts and be ready for what you have for us. I pray you'd help us to leave this church tonight and not be the same as we were when you came in, dear Lord, but to be better Christians. I pray you just bless. I pray you bless preacher, dear Lord, as he's gone, that you'd use him in a great mighty way, keep him safe as he travels home, be with his family as they were dealing with sickness, dear Lord. I pray you just be with my wife as she's at home with her own stuff going on, dear Lord. And I pray you just bless tonight, dear Lord. We'll thank you for all that is accomplished in Christ's name. We pray, Amen. So like I said, that's not where Paul started. And just the way that my mind works is now, I'll probably say Saul when I mean Paul, and probably say Paul when I mean Saul. So you're just going to have to bear with me. But I said, that's not where he started. And just, in fact, he was about as far away as he possibly could be. The first time that we see Saul is Acts 7, verse 58. And it says, And cast him out of the city and stoned him. This is talking about um, Stephen. And witness laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. 
That's the first time we see him. Look at verse 1 of 8. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. Again, this is talking about Stephen. He's consenting unto Stephen's death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. So, this is where we see we first see Saul, right? They're stoning Stephen. He's standing there. They're all laying their coats at his feet. But if we see in verse 8, it says he was consenting unto his death. He was on board with it. He was okay with it. He was consenting to it. I don't think that I'd have to say very much more than that or make very much more of an argument for you to agree with me that that is not a good place to be starting off for Saul. He's already in the negative. He's already out to a bad start. I want us to look here at 3, at verse 3 of 8. It says, For Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committing, committed them to prison. I want us to just stop for a second and read the end part of that first line where it says, Made havoc of the church. It says, Saul made havoc of the church. I think that you're all pretty much aware, and I don't have to draw too much to this, but I believe that we would agree today that there are many things outside the church that wish to do havoc on the church, that wish to do harm. I looked up a definition of havoc, and one of the definitions was widespread destruction, damage, hurt on a large scale. There are many things out there in this world that want to do that to the church. We see, we see a church that is so wicked and so sinful and so vile, and they hate the church. Because we stand for everything that they, we stand against everything that they are for. We see, especially here lately with the stuff going on with the Roe versus Wade, we see where churches have been attacked and literally been attacked and vandalized physically. There are things going on, things that want to do damage to the church. And we need to be very careful and mindful and aware of those things. But dear Christian, we don't need to be just, just be aware of those things. But when is the last time that you've seen these things that are going on around you, these wicked, horrible things, and it really broke your heart? It really did something to you. As I mentioned, the Roe the Ro versus Wade stuff, that was one for me. I, I would look at my phone, I'd be reading the articles and the things that people were saying about it. And it's a very terrible thing. And it's a very sad time when people are upset that children, the babies are going to live. How terrible is that? And my wife said, you need to quit. You just need to go off your phone. You just need to quit looking at it. And finally, I had to get off my phone. I had to go up to my prayer closet, which is, is now our nursery. And it still is our nursery until he starts to use it. But I've been praying in there, and I said, God, this is awful. And there's nothing I can do about it. I, just, I need you to do something about it and help us and raise up people and raise up Christians that will do something about this. Dear Christians, I think that so many times we as Christians, we are what we are supposed to be. How can we be upset at the world for doing what they do when we never told them otherwise? We, very times I think that Christians not only don't stand against things, the, one, the people that are for these things in the world, they're so burdened, passionate, and crazy about it, and they're not afraid to let you know. But many times we're not the same way. Many times we don't even let these people know that there is another option. But it says that he made havoc of the church. He was doing this damage. And as I was talking about, the Roe, the Roe versus Wade stuff really was upsetting to me because there may be some of you that know, maybe some that don't. But we, we were dealing with some issues with trying to create a plan and, and get everything that we need to be able to get our son here. And um, I wish I had the time to tell you, but the Lord has opened up doors and worked in a miraculous way and, and answered prayers. I just don't have time to go into all of it. But... I'm sitting here every day begging the Lord that our son would be here, that we would get what we need to get him here, that he would get here safely, that everything would work out and there's people looking for every opportunity, every reason that they could kill theirs. 
is very heartbreaking to me. But I, and I love all of you. I love all of my church family. But I believe that the young people and the children have a special place in my heart. And I, and I hope that y'all can see that. I believe that most nights after church, you'll find me with a group of the kids, and we'll be playing. Kids have a special place in my heart. Dear Christian, when are we going to start letting these things break our hearts? We need, to, we need to allow our hearts to be broken when we see things that break God's heart. We need to allow our hearts to be broken when we do things that break God's heart. We mentioned that there were outside sources that were reaching, wreaking havoc on the church. And I think that if we look back in Bible times and throughout the, the earlier years, many of the enemies of the church were from the outside. But dear Christian, I believe that and nowadays many of, the Christian, many of the enemies of the church are inside. Many of them that are doing damage to the church are inside. Dear Christian, I believe that it's almost easier for a Christian to do damage to the church than the world. Because the world has to try, the world has to be active, the world has to plot, the world has to plan. They have to do something. And many times for a Christian to hurt the church, they have to do nothing. You know how you hurt the, the church, dear Christian? Don't make it important. Don't show up. Don't encourage your preacher. Don't encourage your, your fellow church members. Don't pray for your preacher. Don't pray for your church members. Don't make a walk with Christ important to yourself. Don't read your Bible. Don't take your kids to church because you know what happens. You don't make church important. Your kids see how you live at home and they, don't, they grow up and never come back. That's how you hurt the church, Christians. You don't make it important. We need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to protect the church from harm. Everything on the outside wants to do harm to it. We don't need to add to it. Right. I want us to look. So I said there that he was wreaking havoc. I want us to flip over a page. So I gave you something a little bit dark, a little bit disheartening there with the, the harm to the church. But I want us to look at Acts 8, verse 6. This is talking about Philip. It says, And the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. They were open. They were receptive. They were listening to the preacher. 7 says, For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed. He was casting out demons. With them, and many taken with palsy, and that were lame were healed. He was healing the sick. Listen to this, 8. It says, And there was great joy in that city. Look down at verse 12. It says, But when they believed, Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So we see, I just gave you something that was, Paul was persecuting the church. The church was under persecution. They were being arrested, they were being persecuted, they were being put to death. But we see here that Philip is still preaching. They're listening to Philip. He's doing miracles, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, and there's great joy there. We see that he talks, he's, we see here that it says many of them were getting saved and baptized. It says that Simon himself believed also and was baptized. Look over at verse 36. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. I want to stop there for a second. I mentioned, right, we were talking about the havoc, the damage to the church, both from external and internal forces. 
then that's something that's not a very light thing. It's not something that's a very encouraging thing. So for a second, I just want to flip a gear. But we see that we see what I feel, what I pointed out with Philip, all the works that God was doing through him, all the ways he was blessing. People were getting saved. People were getting baptized. We see with the Ethiopian unit, people were getting saved and people were getting baptized. And we see, and now verse or chapter nine, verse one, we're back to Saul. It starts off and it says, and Saul. I want us to look at this word and here because I believe that, that when the English language, the word and is a connecting word. It connects things together. This tells me that this is the first word of this chapter, but this is not the beginning of this thought. We see that what we read here about what God was doing is either happening simultaneously or very close together. We see that the Christians in the church are being persecuted. They're being killed. They're being hauled off. But God is still working. God is still good. Maybe there are some times that we can't see God working, we don't understand what He's doing, but He still is working. Right. And that we see dark days, we, we're in dark days now. It's not hard to look out anywhere and see stuff that's going on that's really heartbreaking and, and discouraging, or at least it should be to the Christian. But God is still working, just like He was still working here. People were still getting saved, people were still getting baptized, people were still listening to the preacher. The preacher was casting out demons, he was healing the sick, God was using him. But, so... Just like today, there are dark times, there are things going on that are very discouraging, but that doesn't mean that God's not working. That doesn't mean that God's not good. Sometimes we as Christians get to the point where we only want to praise God, we only want to tell Him how good He is when He's actively working, when He's actively blessing, but that is not the case. God is good all the time. We see that He's working, just like today He's working, but I, I want to point out this thought too, is that if God wasn't working, what is the reason? Is He not working just because He doesn't want to work, or have you just not given Him an opportunity to do so? So many times as Christians, we want to sit back on the, on the back row, we want to say, God, you take this, you take this, and you do every one with it, but I'm not going to volunteer myself to be used. I'm not going to be anything that's involved with it, but you just go ahead and take it. You, push it. you, you get somebody else to do it. Is God not moving because He doesn't want to, or because you just haven't given Him an opportunity to do so? But God works, and He moves, and He is good, even despite the things that are going on around us. I want us to look at verse 1 of 9 again. It says, And Saul yet, listen to this word, it says, And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now when I think of Saul, and from what we've already read about Saul, I feel like what we know, he probably wasn't pretty, a very pleasant person to be around. I'm sure we met them, and you know what I'm talking about. When you just you know those people that they're not just their presence makes you uncomfortable. Just in being around, I believe that Saul was probably this way. And it says, and yet Saul breathing out threatenings. I read a commentary and talked about this, and it said that maybe the reason it was saying breathing out was because Saul was so hate-filled and so vile towards the church that just as normal to him as breathing was threatening and slaughtering against the church. But I want us to look into it. Says that he. He desired of him letters to Damascus. What was he doing here? He's asking for permission from the high priest to continue persecuting the church. He was looking for permission. He was looking for the okay. I would even say that maybe he was looking for the excuse to do so. I think that we can think about excuses, and I believe that when we, he was looking for an excuse, and when I think about Saul here, I imagine him as a rabid dog on a chain. I imagine he's at the very end of the link. He's got it as tight as he can go. He's just waiting for somebody to turn him loose. 
But I thought about it, maybe he was looking for an excuse. Has anybody heard, heard that term before? He was looking for an, you were just looking for an excuse to do that. And I believe that's what Saul was doing here. And I believe that when we think of excuses, many times we think of them as, as bad things. As, but an excuse is something that excuses you from something. It's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's depending on how you use it. We see that Saul was looking for every excuse that he could get to continue doing what he was doing. Just like sometimes as Christians, we use excuses to get out of everything that we should be doing. We use excuses to get out of going to church. We use excuses to get out of serving the Lord or, or reading our Bible or having a relationship with God. We all, at one point or another, have had excuses. A lot of times they're very silly. Sometimes, oh, we didn't see you at Wednesday night church. Where were you? Oh, the grass needed to be watered. Oh, my goldfish got hiccups and I couldn't come to church. <laughs> we laugh, but some of the excuses that we've used have been about as silly as those. But he was looking for every excuse, and that's what we need to figure out, is how are we going to use our excuses? Like I said, they're not necessarily good or bad. It's the context in which you use them. Are you going to use the excuse, oh, I couldn't go to church because of X, Y, Z. I couldn't read my Bible and pray tonight because I'm so busy and i got to get up for work tomorrow, but I'll lay in bed and watch TV for two hours. Are you using the excuse to serve God or to get into everything that you could get into or to get out of everything you could get out of? We need to be very careful, Christians, is how we use our excuses. Let's not use them to get away from the things of God, but use them to get into the things of God. We can use them to excuse ourselves from situations where Christians have no business being. If you work with people in there, I remember when I worked in the hospital, we'd get off, I worked nights, we'd get off at 7 in the morning, and they'd go out for mimosas. And they invited me out to go, and I said, I'm not going to go with y'all. I got a wife to get home to, and I, I don't drink. But that was me making an excuse. Was that wrong of me to make an excuse? No. Christians have no reason being out there and doing that thing and being in that atmosphere. I used an excuse, but it wasn't in a bad way. We need to be able to use excuses to get out of things that we shouldn't be in and to use them to get into everything that we should be getting into. Figure out where I am real quick. Let's look at 9, 3 through 5. It says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? So I want us to see here, what was Saul doing? Saul was living wickedly. And there may be some of us in here, maybe not, but a lot of people who are Christians today have lived wickedly, have lived out in the world. But we see here that Saul was living like he shouldn't have been. He was a sinner. He was persecuting the church. He was killing the Christians. He was out of line, and God showed up. I want us to be, to be careful tonight, dear Christians, that the way that we're living, the way that we're behaving, is it something that would need God's intervention. Because God is our Father, and like a father, He's responsible for correcting His children when they get out of line. I think about our parents, our fathers. Remember, I don't know about y'all, maybe I was just a bad kid and y'all can't relate to this, but my parents would leave me at my grandparents, and I would sometimes get out of hand, and they'd say, your parents are here. Right now I straighten up because my parents were here, and I knew I was going to get a whooping. My dad used to whoop me with a wooden spoon, and one day it broke, and I got so happy because I thought we were done with that wooden spoon, but he bought a new one. So just remember, God never runs out of wooden spoons. He's always ready to whoop you. But, dear Christian, God will show up, and He'll get your attention when you're not living right. He'll get up, and He'll set you straight. And if I was, and the, the truth about it, Christian, is that the longer you live in your sin, the scarier it should be for you because you get more rooted into it. It gets more natural. It's going to be something bigger that God has to do to get your attention. 
So I just encourage us tonight, at some point we need to evaluate our lives and to make sure that we're not living in a way that God might need to interfere. We, not, might not to, we need to make sure that we're not living in a way that would be lining us up for a whooping, so to speak. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 9. It says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I didn't, have, I didn't notice this thought until I was studying this, this afternoon. But he just said, Go. He didn't say, Go and do this and do that. And I got everything worked out for it. He just said, Go. Sometimes as Christians, we don't want to do anything unless we know exactly how everything's going to play out. We have everything planned. And sometimes that's not how God works. Sometimes He doesn't send us with a whole trip. He doesn't send us with a whole itinerary. He just says, Go. And trust me to take care of the rest. He said, Go. But I, I wanted to point out here that He says, Lord, what would that have me to do? He's asking God what He wants Him to do. He's come to the realization that what He has been doing isn't what God would want Him to be doing. He's asking God to help Him figure out what God's purpose, what His plan is, and to help Him align Himself with that. Dear Christian, when's the last time that we've honestly stopped and just said, God, what do you want me to do? God, take away my desires, my thoughts, my plans, my spouse's input, my friend's input, my co-worker's input. What is it that you want me to do? When's the last time, Christian, that we've really just sincerely asked God to show us what His will was for us? I want us to see here. So He asked Him what He wanted Him to do. But we see He tells Him, He said, in the end, He says, Lord, what would Thou have me to do? And He says, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He asked Him, He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like I said, are we regular enough asking the Lord what He wants us to do? But we see that the Lord gave him an answer. Maybe sometimes as Christians we don't ask the Lord what He wants us to do because we're afraid He'll give us an answer. Maybe He'll give us an answer and tell us what He wants us to do and we either have to do it or we have to try to run away from it. And I believe that Jonah is a prime example that that's not a good way to go about it. But are we scared that He's going to give us an answer? We need to be, Lord, what do you want us to do? And we need to be ready and willing to go wherever the answer tells us. He just told Saul, he just said go. That's all I told him, he said go. I'll figure out the rest when you get there. Look at verse 8. He says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat nor drink. Neither did he eat nor drink. I want to notice where it said, if you remember earlier, it said there was a bright light when Jesus showed up to him. And then now it's saying that he can't see. They had to lead him away. And I don't see anywhere in the Bible that I can honestly show you for fact. But as I read this, this is just what I imagined. You can take it or you can leave it. But does anybody know when you walk into a room and it's dark and you flip the light on and flip it off real quick? And you just see a shadow of what was there. And it's dark all around it. I believe that possibly that's what Paul saw. He just saw that light that was Jesus. The shadow or that, that silhouette of what was Jesus in darkness around it. And I think that's, a, that's an interesting thought. And if that is in case true... What an interesting thought that is because he has spent so much of his time persecuting the church, persecuting Christians, and trying to root out Christ, that now he was the only thing he could see. He was the only thing his eyes were focused on. Dear Christian, when's the last time that we've... Is Christ the only thing that our eyes are focused on? Is Christ the only thing that our eyes are focused on? Is that the only thing that we're concerned about? Or is it what we're doing after church? Are we not paying attention to when the preachers preach because we're so... 
concerned about what's going to happen afterwards. Or skipping church to pick up extra hours to, to pad our bank account a little bit. What is, what is our focus? And are our eyes on so many other things or are they only on Christ? We need to align our, our values and our desires so that they only focus on Christ. So number one, that was point number one. If you're taking notes, we see this. We see Saul's sinful past. Number one, Saul's sinful past. Number two, we see Saul's second chance. I want us to look at verse 10 through 18. It says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen a vision of a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hast sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and rose and was baptized. I want us to see here, let's just take a, take a pit stop from Saul for a second and just talk about Ananias. I believe that these verses that we just wrote speak to the testament of Ananias' faith. He, he did question God for reassurance but I believe that in the same situation, many of us would have done the same thing. He, he's, this is a man that's persecuting people just like Ananias, killing them, hauling them off, whatever he was doing. And God comes to him and says, hey, I want you to go talk to that guy. I want you to go do exactly the same thing that he's been persecuting people for. And Ananias took a step back and said, are you sure, God, like this guy, have you heard about him? Have you heard all the stuff he's been doing? Are you sure you want me to go to him? But I believe that we see that he was faithful because he asked God. He's like, are you sure? And God's like, yes, go to this guy. And he said, all right, if that's what you want, I'm going to go. Sometimes in our life we say, God, are you sure? And he's like, yep. And we ask him four or five more times, are you really sure? Are you really sure? But he said, are you sure? And God said, yes, go. And he said, all right, I'll go. And Ananias came and he, and he found Saul. And he, I think it's neat that the first time that he, he, he addresses Paul, he calls him, or he addresses Saul, excuse me, he calls him brother. This is the first time he ever met him. He calls him brother. I just thought that I didn't really have a whole big thought for that. I thought that was neat because he, that was the first time he met him. And I think that kind of gives us an insight to the family of God. And there's nothing quite like a family, the church family. Amen. After everything that Saul had did, everything that he was, and I still said brother. Called him brother because they were brothers in Christ. But I believe that this was a testament to Ananias' faith. He did what God told him to do. And I thought about this. He, he was going to something that he thought could have been certain death. He said, God, are you sure? He's been, he's been persecuting people. And he still went anyway. And I believe that if it would have been some of us, we might have went. We might have said, oh yeah, I'm, I'll be faithful. I'll go. But in the back of our mind, we would have said, this guy's probably going to kill me. Like, I hope God really really does what he said he was going to do. But he went anyway. And how many of us, if we were facing, facing something that we thought might be certain doom, would we go do it? Like Ananias did. But I want us to think about this thought as well, is that what if Ananias would have just said no? But if he just wouldn't have done it. Where would that have left Saul? Now, I don't believe that God, if God wanted to do what he wanted to do with Saul, and he wanted to turn him into Paul and use him for everything that he did, I don't think that he wouldn't have found another way.
But I think that there was a specific reason that he picked Ananias. And that God would have had to do things a little bit differently if he would have said no. But he still would have got what he wanted because he's God. But think about that as I believe that God has made all of us perfect. He's made all of us not perfect, but he's made all of us different. He's made all of us unique with different personalities and ways that we do things. And I believe that there are certain people in this world that, that maybe I could reach that Brother Cody couldn't reach. And there may be people that Brother Lewis could reach that I couldn't reach just because of the kind of person that we are and the kind of experiences that we had and the kind of things that we go through. There are people out in this world that are depending on you to share Christ with them and to tell them about God and to, to encourage them or to lead them, much like Ananias did Saul. And what happens if we just say no? Where does that leave them? We're going to help be a reason that people miss out on serving God. We're going to be a reason that people die and go to hell just because we told God no even though he had a plan and he had a specific way to use us. So we need to be willing to be faithful even when it's not easy. It's easy to be faithful and say, oh yeah, I'll do whatever God tells me to do when he's not telling you to do nothing. It's easy to sit there and say, oh yeah, I'd go anywhere God wants me to do. I'd, I'd run through the jungles of Africa with whatever until he calls you to go down there. This is a little bit different, isn't it? But we need to be faithful and, and serve God where he calls us to go because we never know who will impact Maybe one day God will call us somewhere and we'll see someone that was a Saul and God will use us to help him become a Paul. And dear Christian, we don't want to miss out on that. I want us to look at um, verse 19 and 20. It says, And we had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But listen to this verse in particular. It says, But all that heard him were amazed, and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on his, this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for the intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? So we see they are hearing him preach. And he's preaching that, this, that Jesus is the Son of God, which remember, this is what the Jews took issue with. They said that it was blasphemous that Jesus called himself the Christ, the Son of God. And they said, But they, which Saul was a Jew, and he said, they said, is this, is this really this guy? This is the same guy? This is the same. He was just hauling people off to prison for saying exactly what he just said. This isn't the same guy that we, that we were hearing just a couple of weeks ago. And they're Christian. That should, be able to be the, that should be the same thing that should be able to be said about us. People that knew us before we were saved or people that knew us when we were, we were backslidden and we weren't what we were supposed to be. If they saw us today, would they say, hey, this, that's not the same guy. That's not the same guy I used to know. That guy used to run around and get into a bunch of nonsense with us, and now he tells us that that's not good. He used to, he used to make fun of people that go to church. Now he's there every Sunday, every Wednesday. Would that, this isn't the same guy. Christian, would that be able to be said about us today? We need to make sure that there is a noticeable difference on who we are now and who we were before we were saved. We need to make sure there's a noticeable difference between who we are and who, and who the world is. Look at verse 22. He says, But Saul increased the more in the strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. So now the Jews want to kill him. Remember, Saul was a Jew. These were his people. This was his crowd. He was doing their bidding. He was persecuting people, hauling off for them. And now they want to kill him. Dear Christian, we shouldn't be surprised that when we get saved, that when we change the ways that we behave, the things that we do, the things that we partake in, that our crowd that used to be our crowd doesn't want to be our crowd anymore. 
not only will they not want to be our crowd, but they probably will despise us and not like us for it. We live in a world that preaches equality and tolerance and acceptance, but they hate the church. They don't, they don't like us. They can't stand us. They don't even tolerate us. Don't be surprised when that crowd doesn't want to be your crowd anymore. And honestly, Christian, I believe that it should be a decision on us that we don't want to be part of that crowd anymore. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think that we should still love those people. We should still witness to those people. But we shouldn't spend time with those people doing things that we ought not be doing. We're supposed to love the sinner, or love the sinner, hate the sin. That's so what I say to people all the time. People ask me my stance on things that I don't agree with as a Christian. And I'll say, I don't agree with what they do, but that doesn't mean that I hate those people. It doesn't mean that I don't like those people. I just don't agree with what they do. So we see that they tried to kill him because he was no longer their crowd. We saw that they knew that he was trying to kill him, and they let him down the wall in a basket. We see that God always provides, and he always takes care of his people. Saul was doing what he was supposed to be doing, and God provided a way out for him. Look at verse 26. It says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, as he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto him how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, excuse me, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out of Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they were about to slay him. So here he goes. He just left the Jews. The Jews wanted to kill him. He got away. He got back to the, the Greeks, and now they want to kill him too. But I want us to see that it says that they were afraid of him, and they believed him not, until Barnabas stepped in. We, we all claim to love the story. This is one of my favorite stories about how God took Saul, where Saul... The Bible says in Timothy that Saul was the chief of sinners, and he made him into the Apostle Paul. That's, that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, is that God took the chief of sinners and did what he did in Paul. We claim to love that. We claim to love that story. That's an encouragement of what God could do in our lives. But I believe in many churches, in this, in many churches like ours in this country, if Saul was to walk through that back door right now, we'd turn him away. we say, we don't believe you. We're scared of you. We know who you used to be. We know the kind of stuff you did. We don't want your kind in here. We don't want anybody like you in here. And dear Christian, sometimes the churches we turn away people because they're not dressed like us, they don't understand their Bible like we do, they don't talk like us, then we just turn away and we don't want anything to do with them. And don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying that anybody who's a, a new convert or, or a visitor, that we should just let anything go on in our church because there are things that should be addressed. But I believe there's a specific way that we should address them. We shouldn't be rude and hateful and turn people out because they don't know better. Because someone wants to be in church and come and visit us, that's a blessing in itself. Think about our children. When you have children, your children don't know something. You don't tell them, oh, you dirty, rotten heathen, get away from me. Don't come back until you figure this out. We say, no, listen, that's not how we do this. Let me help you figure out how we do this. Let me help you be what you need to be. And that's how we should be with lost people as well. We should love them and we should encourage them to come into church. We shouldn't accept their sin and encourage their sin, but we should love them and help them to be what they need to be. We need to stop expecting the Saul's to come in and already be Paul. But we need to encourage the Saul's to be Paul and to help them to be Paul. Let's see. So... We saw, number one, like I said, we saw Saul's sinful past. Number two, we saw Saul's second chance. And lastly, number three, I want us to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll see God's saving grace. God's, let's see, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
verse 12. This is, this is my life verse. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is, this is Paul. This is Paul writing this letter to Timothy, and he says that he's thankful that Christ put him into the ministry. He's thankful that God counted him faithful, that he thought high enough about him to let him be a preacher, to let him be in the ministry. And he said he's thankful for it. I believe that we see here a thankful heart. We see, I imagine, times in my life where I look back and I think, wow, God, even after everything I've been, all the ways I've messed up, everything I've done, God still loves me. God still wants to use me, and I'm thankful that He counted me faithful enough to do so, like Paul is saying here. He's thankful. A perfect holy God still loves me. A perfect holy God still wants to use me. And let me tell you right now, Christian, yes, He does. He wants to use you despite of the ways that you failed. And isn't that amazing? Times that we can't forgive ourselves, God will forgive us. Times that we don't deserve anything, He'll give us way more than we deserve. The only thing that we ever did deserve was hell, and He took that from us. Times we can't forgive ourselves, times when our, our family, our spouses, our friends, those that we wrong can't forgive ourselves. A perfect God, the only one who ever had the qualifications to, to judge someone does. The only person that could ever really hold against you does forgive you. But he says, I'm thankful. I'm thankful, he says. Dear Christian, when was the last time that we really stopped and just said, thank you, God. Thank you for using me, for still wanting anything to do with me. I understand that I'm, I'm nothing. I'm, and even when we're saved, we're still nothing. We realize that. Even the only thing we have going for us when we're saved is that Christ covered our sins. We're still, in a lot of ways, the same person. We still struggle with the same things that we have to get right. The only thing we have going for us is God. We say, thank you, thank you, Lord, for still wanting anything to do with me, for forgiving me, for wanting to use me. And not just saying it, not just putting it in a prayer to fill time, but really saying, God, thank you. Thank you for loving me the way you do and using me the way you do, even despite all my failures. We see a thankful heart here in, in Saul, and I believe, or well, now it's Paul, but we see that, we see a thankful heart in him. And I believe that it weighs heavily, more heavily on him because of everything that he came from, everything he had done. But you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn there and just read you a couple of verses. We see here that Paul is, is thanking the Lord for putting the ministry, for counting him faithful. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 11, verse 24, for 25, this is what, or 27, excuse me, this is what it says. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in, painless, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. These are some of the things that, that, Saul, that, Saul, or that Paul went through. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was prisoned, he was... Uh, all these things that he just mentioned to us, and he still says, thank you, God. Thank you for the opportunity that I get to serve you. I know that I've been beaten, I've been whipped, and there's times that I haven't had any clothes to wear, there's times I didn't have anything to eat, I didn't have anything to drink, but thank you, God, for this opportunity. How ridiculous, dear Christian, do some of our concerns and our complaints sound when we, listen, when we read that, when we read those verses. Sometimes we just, well, just the smallest thing will go wrong in our lives. We'll say, well, God is so terrible to me. I don't want to do anything for him. I don't want to serve him. 
if he's going to be like this and Paul's getting beaten and whipped and shipwrecked and in prison, didn't have anything to wear or eat, and he's still saying, thanks God, thank you God that I have the opportunity to serve you the way that I do. Thank you that you counted me faithful to even be in this situation. First Timothy, let's look at verse 13. It says, Who was before a blasphemer? This is him talking about himself still. He said, Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. He gives a brief description of what he used to be. He says he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but he obtained mercy. Aren't you glad for God's mercy tonight? But he gave a brief description of what he used to be, how he used to be. And if we read our Bibles, and I imagine most of us have a general idea of what Paul went on to be. But we see that we serve a God so big that he can, turn, he can take a blasphemer and he can give him a reason to praise him. He can give him a reason to shout. He can give him a reason to run the aisles. We, and we see a God that can take the dirtiest, rotten sinner that you've ever seen and turn him into a saint. We see a God that can take a persecutor and make him an encouragement. We see a God that can take, most importantly, a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner on his way to hell and save him. And, and, send him, and give him a place in heaven when he dies. And you know, I, I believe, Christians, that, that salvation and God's sacrifice has become, an, has become, really, we've become too comfortable with it. I believe that if we really, remember when we first got saved and how we felt and how amazing it was that God wanted to save us despite who we were, and now we just think, yeah, God, God saves us. But I think that should really mean something to us. That should really do something in our heart when we think about being able to be saved. I want us to look at verse 14. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. He, he says His grace, the grace of the Lord was exceeding abundant. I love this. And many times through the Bible we see where the Bible uses the word exceedingly or abundant or them together when it refers to something that God provides us. He says His grace was exceedingly abundant. It wasn't just enough to barely cover us. It wasn't just enough to cover 10 people to 15 people. Just enough to cover the people that weren't that bad. But it was enough. It was exceeding abundant. It was more than enough. It covered us all 10 times over. Amen. He says it was exceeding abundant. We were talking about that change. Remember I said that people need to see us and say, Hey, is this really the same guy? That change needs to be evident. We see that Saul went through this change. How do we go through this change? We go through this change by grace. How do we receive this grace? We receive this grace through salvation. How do we receive this salvation? Through Christ. But we see, let's look at verse 15. It says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is that verse I was mentioning earlier where he said he was the chief of sinners. And remember this, this is God's inspired word. This is the truth. This is God, what, what God wanted you to know. It's true. He was the chief of sinners. He was the worst of the worst. And God saved him and made him what he made out of him. But I want us to look where it says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose. Right there it tells us that was his purpose. That's why he came to earth. He came to earth. He chose to come to earth, to come to earth, to die, to bleed, to save us. He didn't have to do that. He didn't need to do that, but he did. He chose to do that. He didn't have to. He chose to. I think of, and I think it's a hard spot for us. Think about us, uh, people that have children. God gave up His only Son to die for you. I think a lot more people would be more willing to die for you than they would give up their kid to die for you. And God did. His only one. He gave him up. So you didn't have to go to hell. But he says that was, that was 
His purpose, Christ's whole purpose of coming was to save sinners, who He was chief of. He's so, like I said, we need to be able to receive this, this change. How do we receive this change? Through salvation. We get covered by grace, which grace is brought to us. Or this, we get this change by grace, grace by salvation, and a salvation by Christ. I want, so we see that that was, that was his, Jesus' whole purpose of coming to earth was to save sinners. Well, which sinners? Look at chapter 2. I mean, yeah, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, this is, well, let's, let's start off in 3. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I love when the Bible uses the word all, especially when it's referring to people coming to Christ. There are people out there that believe only certain people get to come to Christ. The Bible says all. And whomsoever. The grace, the grace has, that saveth has appeared to all men. He says that he'd have all men to be saved. They gave himself a ransom for all men. I want us to look back at the look in verse 5 again. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Right. How you get to heaven? God. How you get to God? Jesus. Amen. There's only one way. It's God. And there's only one way to God, and that's Jesus. Amen. So like I said, a change, a change through grace, a grace through salvation, a salvation through Christ for all men. You have to go to one God through one Christ, which is Jesus. So we see that change that was made in, in, in Saul's life, and he became Paul because of that change. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.